Welcome to Hence the Future podcast. I'm Adam Orkonen, and today we're discussing the transformative life of Ram Dass. I've been listening to Ram Dass's lectures and reading his books pretty much every day now for the last few weeks, and I can truly say that he is one of the highest beings I've come across. The way that he's able to communicate what really matters in life and what the true nature of reality is really like is on par with Alan Watts, Aldous Huxley, Herman Hesse, and all of the great spiritual metaphysical thinkers of history. So today I'm going to tell the story of the life of Ram Dass, how he transformed from Dr. Richard Alpert, a Harvard professor who was at the top of the somebody game, to Ram Dass, a literal nobody whose name means simply servant of God. And how Ram Dass was able to learn how to be in the world, but not of the world. And let's open with a quote from Ram Dass himself. He says, quote, The game is not about becoming somebody. It's about becoming nobody. So let's start with the beginning of Ram Dass's life. And if you're an American and you're listening to this, he had a pretty typical upbringing for an American. He grew up in Boston. He was the son of a lawyer. He was in a Jewish household, but he identified as an atheist as a young person. The religious transformation didn't happen until later in his life. And he got a great education. He went to Tufts for undergraduate, got a master's at Wesleyan, and got a PhD at Stanford. And he became a tenured Harvard professor of psychology. So at that point, he was really at the top of the somebody game. He was respected. He had a stable career. He was doing good academic research that was respected by his peers on identification and child rearing. And he had pretty much made it to the top of the ladder. But internally, during this whole time period, he felt like he was playing a role, like he was playing the role of Dr. Richard Alpert. He was playing the game and saying what a professor was expected to say, rather than being totally authentic and being totally himself. Right around this time, Dr. Richard Alpert meets another Harvard professor of psychology, Timothy Leary. Timothy Leary, like Richard Alpert, is really interested in identity and how our perception of identity and reality changes when we take different psychoactive substances. So together, Timothy Leary and Richard Alpert form the Harvard psilocybin study, where they take graduate students, they try magic mushrooms, and they see how their perceptions change. And during one of the first instances of this, Dr. Richard Alpert is sitting with a friend, a colleague of his, and even though they look totally different, he has this profound moment of realizing, whoa, we are the same exact soul, just in a different skin, just in a different type of body. And when he realizes that, he realizes how much of a folly it is to have prejudice against anyone, to judge people for how they are externally, because at our core, all conscious beings are the same. And the way he distills this point is he says, quote, you're just a soul on a different trip. So this realization really opens up the world of Ramdas, and he starts to want to explore the world of spirituality and intuitive knowledge more deeply. Up until now, he's been purely focused on the objective, rational, scientific world, which is part of why it's so interesting to see someone like this go into spiritual studies after taking the normal, rational route. And they conduct the famous Good Friday experiment, the first ever double-blind study of psychedelics. They take 20 
theology graduate students, half of them receive psilocybin and half of them receive an active placebo. So a placebo that gives you a little bit of stimulation, but it doesn't actually change your cognitive experience. After about an hour, it's totally obvious who has taken the active placebo and who has taken the real psilocybin. But the even more interesting thing is that almost every participant that took the actual psilocybin had a profound religious experience or spiritual experience that they reported. And another interesting finding is that depending on the preconceptions that people had going into this experiment, whatever those preconceptions were, they were deepened by the psilocybin experiment. So if you came into it as a good Christian and you really believe in the Christian theology of the world, you would feel like you had communion with Christ when you're on psilocybin. Whereas someone who maybe is more agnostic or atheistic, they also would have a spiritual religious experience, but they would communicate it as being a feeling of oneness with the universe or some other terminology that's not particularly religious. Therefore, both Timothy Leary and Richard Alpert concluded that psychedelics like psilocybin and LSD really are best described as entheogens, which means they enable someone to deepen their spiritual or religious understanding, regardless of what their frame of reference is starting from. Now, after these experiments have been going on for a while, there started to be a movement forming behind Ramdas and Timothy Leary. There were graduate students and even some undergrads who would hang around these two professors and take psychedelics with them and talk about the nature of reality. And it became almost like a private clique within Harvard of like the cool kids club. And to be part of the club, you had to be part of this psychedelic cultural experience. And Harvard, the administration obviously didn't like this. This was something that they perhaps saw as a threat to their temple to rationality, and perhaps they weren't quite ready to take in these intuitive learnings. And so Ramdas, Dr. Richard Alpert, and Timothy Leary were both formally dismissed from Harvard in 1963. After Timothy Leary and Ramdas were kicked out of Harvard, they decided to form their own commune, which was known as the Millbrook Commune. And this is where they stopped clinging to the Western way of the world, and they went back to a more simple, simpler mode of being. There were a lot of communes like this that popped up in the 60s and 70s. Everyone would contribute to the society, and everyone would share with one another. And they were taking psychedelics all the time because they wanted to find a way to achieve permanent enlightenment. Because every time they took LSD or they took psilocybin, they would eventually come back to this plane of reality. And they wanted to find a way to have that enlightened feeling persist over time and not come down. And later on, Ramdas realized that psychedelics are a great way to sit down and have tea with Jesus, but you can never become Jesus just through psychedelics. For that, you need to seriously give up all clingings, all desires, and all identity. You have to truly become nobody. Now, this seeking led Richard Alpert to leave the Millbrook Commune to travel to India. And while in India, he met his guru, Neem Karoli Baba, whom he called Maharaji. Maharaji was a wandering sadhu for most of his youth. 
That is an Indian holy man who wanders around and lives off of the generosity of others with no possessions. And it was Maharaji who gave Dr. Albert his new name, Ramdas. And interestingly enough, Steve Jobs went to India in 1974 to visit this very same Maharaji, Neem Karoli Baba, but unfortunately he had just died the previous September, so Steve Jobs never got to meet him. And it's right at this time when Ram Dass takes on his new name, relinquishes his identity, that he writes his most famous book that he's ever written, Be Here Now. It's been called a seminal work. It has had tremendous influence and not only did it inspire Steve Jobs, and which probably contributed to the Apple iPhone or MacBook that you're listening to this podcast on right now, it also inspired George Harrison writing the song, Be Here Now, George Harrison of the Beatles. The main teaching of Be Here Now is that all that exists is the present moment and the path to liberation, to happiness, to freedom from suffering, to spiritual enlightenment is to live in the present moment. It's similar to Eckhart Tolle's book, The Power of Now. And it's also similar to what we know in quantum mechanics, where quantum entanglement exists between particles, regardless of how much time and space separates them. So in a very real sense, we already know we are all connected throughout time and space, even if we perceive it as happening in one particular sequence. I would say at this point, Ramdas has transformed from disciple to guru, he started to become someone who helped others along their journey rather than just someone focused on his own journey. Ramdas generated tremendous amounts of wealth throughout his life from all of the books that he wrote, all of the lectures that he had given, and he gave all of his money to different foundations. He did not keep anything for himself. He also relinquished his father's inheritance. He had wealthy parents and he knew he would come into a significant inheritance, and he ended up relinquishing that inheritance solely so that he would not have any additional clingings to worldly possessions. It's right around this time that he started the Human Kindness Foundation, where Ram Dass helped prisoners lead a more spiritual life and find redemption and freedom even while behind bars. He also started the Seva Foundation, which helped the blind in India. He also started the Living Dying Project, which is the first facility that people would come to to die consciously. The traditional Western approach is that people are plugged up to machines in a hospital until their last breath. And there's almost this denial of the reality that we are going to have to die. So Ramdas took a different approach. He would let people know if they asked, yes, you are dying. Yes, you are going to move on to the next stage. And he would be there with them help them die consciously, help them come to some resolution with all of the experiences that they had had in their life up until that point. And he also started the Love Serve Remember Foundation, which is dedicated to furthering the teachings that he had gathered from his guru, Maharaji, and his own learnings that he'd gathered throughout his life so that he can continue this message far beyond his own existence. And this is the reason why I listen to Ram Dass's podcast here and now every day, pretty much, because this Love Serve Remember Foundation is still around. It's putting out new episodes every week. So it feels like Ram Dass is still here among us, even though he's been dead for some years now. In the later years of Ram Dass, he started to re-explore his initial identity 
So whereas he had totally foregone his identity as Dr. Richard Alpert and become Ramdas, he started to re-explore his Jewish heritage and he started to re-identify as a combination of Richard Alpert and Ramdas. And he even called himself a Hindu. He's both Hindu and Jewish and Christian in all the religions because they all are getting at the same essential truth. It's a similar distinction to the distinction between a bodhisattva and a pratyaka Buddha. A bodhisattva is someone who has achieved enlightenment and they are still around in the world. They might be working any job, high or low, and they're there to help others along on their path. Whereas a Pratyaka Buddha is a practicing Buddha who's in a cave on his own. He's not necessarily helping others. He really is just living in this enlightened state of existence himself. And it is seen as more optimal to be a Bodhisattva helping others than to be a Pratyaka Buddha who's only really helping yourself. So at this point, Ramdas had incorporated all of his past identities into one all encompassing identity, or the flip side of that is no identity at all. Now, at this point, Ramdas was in his 60s and he had a stroke one day and he totally lost the ability to talk for a while. He was in a wheelchair for a while and he had to relearn how to speak. And whereas before Ramdas, what was left of his identity was as someone who was an intellectual who would help others on their spiritual path, now even that identity he could no longer cling to. He interpreted it as an act of grace because, in his words, quote, the stroke was giving me lessons and I realized that was grace, fierce grace. Death is the biggest change we'll face, so we need to practice change. And after his stroke, Ramdas finished his final book that he ever wrote called Still Here. And in this book, he talks about how all of the suffering that we experience in life is due to our clinging. If we cling to any sort of identity, so if you cling to the identity of being a mother, well, then once your kids are grown, you no longer have that identity. Or if you cling to the identity of being a healthy, fit person and you're always doing healthy, fit things, well, then if you get a disease, you lose that identity. Even for Ramdas, if you cling to an intellectual and someone who can help others along their way, well, then once you have a stroke, even that identity goes away. So Ramdas concludes, just like the Buddha did thousands of years ago, that the way to overcome suffering is to get rid of your desires, get rid of your clingings. And Ramdas fortunately was able to do this towards the end of his life. And you can understand that from the way he talks about death. Some of my favorite ways he describes death is, it's perfectly safe. <laughs> he also says death is, it's like taking off a tight shoe. <laughs> and he talks about how in India, they don't call it dying, they call it dropping the body. And in one of the last interviews that he ever gave, he said, quote, now I'm in my 80s, now I am aging, I am approaching death, I'm getting closer to the end. Now I really am ready to face the music all around me. Ramdas died peacefully on December 22nd, 2019, at the age of 88. Now I'm going to share with you some of my favorite stories of Ramdas and some of my favorite teachings. The first one is the spacesuit metaphor that he uses. 
And he describes how we come into this world as a soul, as an orb of conscious awareness. And when we're a baby, we don't even realize that we are a body. And my sister just had a baby and I'm now an uncle. And when I see this baby, I can see it in his eyes that he has no self-conception. He is purely amazed at the world. And it's only by cultural conditioning that we learn to be a somebody. We learn to be attached to our spacesuit. And that's the way Ramdas visualizes it, is it's like we are all these cosmic beings in a different spacesuit. But we become so attached to our particular spacesuit that we start to identify as the spacesuit rather than with who we truly are. Another concept I love of Ramdas's is the concept of mind nets. And every person has a mind net. Uh, for Steve Jobs, they called it his reality distortion field. And great CEOs have great and powerful mind nets. And a mind net is really your whole view of reality mapped onto your surrounding area. Another story I love that Ramdas tells is the story of the monk and the general. So a general has just conquered this new land, and there's a monastery in this new land. And all the monks had fled when they saw the general and his army approaching, except one. One monk stayed standing peacefully in the middle of the garden. And so the general hears about this, and he goes up with his army, and he walks right up to the monk, and he says, Do you know who I am? I could run my sword through your stomach without blinking an eye. And the monk says to him, and do you know who I am? I could have your sword run through my stomach without blinking an eye. And I love this because it flips the dynamics of power on its head, where if you are not attached to the world of forms, to the world of your body or physical pain or suffering, then you really are totally liberated and there's no way anyone can harm you. And it reminds me of a quote from Gandhi where he says, fearlessness is the first prerequisite to a spiritual life. And so I hope you found this episode interesting and inspirational. And I'll see you next time. The past, the present, and the future. A computer.